Hello, everyone, and welcome to A-Ball with Eric Ose. I am Eric Ose, and it is good to have you with us for what is episode number five and a special one for you as we have the opening day starter for the Clinton Lumber Kings, the right-hander Chris Valamont. Took some time to talk with us, so very appreciative of him for taking the time on a rainy day here in Clinton as we record this on Tuesday, April 30th. The rains, they found us again. The weather, which has been a theme and expected theme of the first month of the Midwest League season, that it has continued. If you follow the Lumber Kings on any of the social media programs and platforms, you probably would have seen us play on the island out at Modern Woodman Park, a facility that the Lumber Kings had really treated like a house of horrors in the 2018 season when they had beaten the River Bandits, the single-A affiliate for the Houston Astros, in Game 2 of a doubleheader on Sunday, April the 28th. That was their first win in Quad Cities since 2017. That's how long it had been. So a curse it was lifted, and that was primarily thanks to a phenomenal pitching performance from Alberto Guerrero. So there has been plenty of great starting pitching the Lumber Kings have received this season, so we thought Chris was an appropriate guest to visit with. He was with the Lumber Kings on the opener, as we mentioned, on the fourth out in Kane County, taking the ball there, and he has not missed a start since then. His five starts on the season as we record this here on April the 30th are the most on the team. Valamont is coming off perhaps his worst start of the season, but it was still a good one. He just got roughed up in the fifth, and you'll hear him say that, allowing five runs to the River Bandits, but very, very impressive for Valamont. As we record this, Valamont's record 0-2 really through a lack of run support. In fact, Valamont only had one run of support through his first three starts, and that was 17 innings of work. In fact, through his first two outings, he didn't have any support. He was taken 2-0 losses to Kane County and to Quad Cities. The ERA tells a more complete story on how the season has gone for Valamont. 2.73 on this season, 26 and a third innings of work. And if you remember all the way back to episode one with the manager Mike Jacobs, he highlighted Valamont as a guy who will need to throw strikes. This season, he has thrown strikes, 27 strikeouts so far on the year. He has walked only eight batters, and as a result, the opponent's hitting just 213 against him. So big thanks to Chris for taking the time again at an appropriate place to start because the starting rotation, which has been so sharp coming into a series with the West Michigan Whitecaps, the single-A affiliate of the Detroit Tigers here in the Midwest League, their starters, a 2.64 earned run average. The bullpen, which has had their issues when it comes to blown saves. The Lumber Kings have blown, as we record this, seven of their 15 opportunities to close out games, but still a very respectable bullpen ERA of 2.66, and that translates to an overall staff earned run average of 2.65 and really highlights what you heard on the last episode from the Director of Player Development, Dick Scott, talk about a minor league system that he feels is their biggest strength in pitching, and it certainly has translated and looks to be the case every time Valamont takes the ball. One of the hardest throwers on the staff as well, a guy who has gotten up to 97 miles per hour with his fastball and a high round pick as well. He was taken in the fifth round out of Mercyhurst. That's a Division II college. So we'll talk about that with Chris and also the chip on the shoulder that he said it has placed on his shoulder for being maybe underscouted out of high school with a lack of offers from top-tier programs, but very appreciative of the experience he got out of Mercyhurst and a big reason why he is in the professional ranks with the Miami Marlins today. Giving you a full report card, though, down on the farm on the A-level with the Miami Marlins. 
Marlins, and that includes some of the negative. And for the Lumber Kings, when you look at the negative, it goes straight to the defense. It has been an issue this season and it has led to 41 errors on the year. That is the most in professional baseball, and that is whether it's in affiliated baseball or in independent ranks, and the primary suspect on it, and it's too bad we have to single one out, but the errors are so such a large number we have to, and that's Christopher Torres, a guy who is in the MLB.com's ranking of the top 30 prospects for the Miami Marlins. I think the last I had seen it, Torres up at 28 on the top 30 list and the scouting report for him a guy with great range and getting to balls he's got a great arm as well but 13 errors on this season and unfortunately for Christopher Torres what that will mean as it currently sits right now he is on pace to break a record here in Clinton for errors committed at shortstop and it was set in 1968 by Maximo Torres who had committed 65 defensive miscues so hopefully that wrong can be righted we do have some Bad information to report or sad information, and that is Christopher Torres placed on the injured list, maybe hoping that just a a brief seven-day stint on the injured list may be able to right some wrongs there as he currently leads the Midwest League and walks draw 19 of those, so he is an important facet of the Lumber Kings offense. And for the longest time, he was the only switch hitter until Sam Castro had arrived here, so he also adds some versatility, a guy who plays at second and third and bats from both sides of the plate, so we hope Torres will be all right and can right the wrongs on the defensive side of things, but as you'd imagine, with 41 errors committed as a team, he is not the only one. We'll highlight Gerard Encarnacion for two reasons. We'll start with the good, and that's the offense. Fortunately, though, for Encarnacion, he saw a season-long 12-game hitting streak come to an end on game one out in Quad Cities, a streak that all or a game that also had ended a stretch of reaching base safely at 20 consecutive games for Encarnacion. And so that had come to an end. That was the longest stretch for any Clinton player going back to 1954 to start his season and reaching base safely. So Encarnacion, who is among the league leaders in just about everything, if he's not flat out leading the league, has been seeing a consistent approach at the plate that is translated into a 352 average, which is among the league leaders, five home runs, which is currently third most in the Midwest League, 21 RBIs, the most in the Midwest League, 31 hits, the most in the Midwest League, and also the most total bases as well for Encarnacion. So he has been fun to watch in more ways than one offensively, but on both sides of the coin, you also have to look at Encarnacion's issues defensively. Now, we've had about a month in the books now here in the 2019 season, and Encarnacion has already been flagged for five errors, which is quite a lot for an outfielder like the right fielder Gerard Encarnacion is. Now, most of those errors are from a great tool that he has defensively, his arm. He has got a cannon, and unfortunately that will lead to him showing it off at times when maybe you wished he hadn't, and he just throws it over everybody's head. So that's where the majority of the five errors have come for Encarnacion, but still a big factor in the 41 errors that have been charged to the Lumber Kings as a team. Other offensive highlights that we also wanted to give some due to, and one of them is Bubba Hollins. Hollins for one brief day had passed Encarnacion when it came to batting average. He has been one of the Lumber 
Lumber King's most consistent hitters this season. Bubba Hollins, who is the son of former big leaguer Dave Hollins, who was also a former All-Star, mind you, has really been the everyday third baseman for the Lumber Kings. He had come into the series with the Wisconsin or with the West Michigan Whitecaps, I should say, batting 338 on the year. And that average is a little bit different than what you'd see from Gerard Encarnacion. And talking with the voice of the Quad Cities River Bandits, again, the single-A affiliate of the Houston Astros, and Jason Kempf, he said that Hollins may be the toughest out in the Lumber Kings lineup right now, and that's because he hits at a similar clip as Gerard Encarnacion, around 3.30 on the season, but he doesn't strike out nearly as much. Hollins has played in 18 games so far this year. He has struck out only 12 times, and he has walked five times as well. So Hollins has been a guy that has put the ball in play for the majority of his time at plate and adding a little bit of some contrast and a balance at a lineup that when you look at the Lumber Kings, you see a team average of 218 as we record this on April the 30th, but then you think, well, that's not very good. That's very low and a lot of room for improvement. But then you look at the slugging percentage and you think everything is just fine. I mean, they're slugging 358 as the majority of the Lumber Kings hits have come in the extra base hit variety. Remember, for the first week of this season, the Lumber Kings had zero home runs, as in none. And now they have 19 of them. And we're still in the same month when we said that for 19 home runs on this season. That is nine more than their opponents as well. In that contrast in how Lumber Kings are trying to beat their opponents, it has been with big hits and not really station to station. It has come with balls in the gap and balls over the fence. Connor Scott, who had his first home run of his season here for the Lumber Kings on Thursday, which was a technical road game, even though it was played here in Clinton due to the flooding issues down in Quad Cities. And we'll be talking, in fact, with Connor Scott next week as well. But that had to feel good and looked good for everyone. It was a game decider. Scott into the Lumber Lounge here in right field in Clinton for his first home run of the season, which amounted to a game winner against the Quad Cities and a 7-2 to triumph on Thursday, April the 25th. Also, big bats as well. It's good to see Sean Reynolds. He now has a couple of home runs on this season. His average has really taken off as well. It's up to... 182, which is about 100 points higher than it was about three weeks ago. In fact, several multi-hit games for Sean Reynolds now. And that is the picture of the Lumber Kings offensively. On the pitching side of things, it'll start and end with the starting rotation. You heard it last week from the Director of Player Development for the Miami Marlins and Dick Scott. This is an organization that feels like they have a lot of talented pitching, and here in Clinton especially, a lot of talent in the starting rotation. He said that of the opening day guys that were sent here, seven of them starting pitchers, and it's why you've seen the Lumber Kings rotation in all kinds of flux. You've got Manuel Rodriguez and Alberto Guerrero typically piggybacking starts, which will mean a guy will start for four or five innings. The next pitcher comes out to finish the game off, and you only need to call on two arms. That is also done in the rotation between Humberto Mejia and George Soriano, arms that have been incredibly sharp for the Lumber Kings, as just about every starter has been, and speaking to that length that can be given when the doubleheaders come. And on Sunday, they did. It was the first doubleheader of the 2019 season. Lumber Kings walked away with a split of that doubleheader and split of the four-game series with the River Bandits, but it was the first of what I am sure will be many more. The Lumber Kings have a scheduled doubleheader on Wednesday, April, or rather, 
May the 1st, and then they will have another doubleheader at the end of May when they go to Beloit for a four-game series that will make up a postponement that had occurred out in Beloit on Sunday, April the 14th. So they are coming, and that means that the starting pitching staff will need to eat up perhaps a little bit more innings, and they've got the guys to do it. They've got seven starters here, and when you think about it, you can maybe even throw Sean Gunther in there. He's had some long experiences out of the bullpen in his brief professional career. He has been very sharp as a Lumber Kings reliever, but the pitching started with Chris Valamont, and he is our guest today here on Episode 5 of A-Ball. We appreciate him taking the time, and he will be joining us next. And welcome back here on A-Ball with Eric Ghost. We're now joined by Lumber Kings opening day starter, Chris Valamon. Thanks for taking the time here to talk with us. Yep, thank you. Well, I guess we can start with the 2019 season for you and what has been a really strong start for the Lumber Kings. I guess we can call you the ace, right, so to speak. You were the starter on opening day. That's how it usually works. But you were from an Erie, Pennsylvania, so you're used to our cold weather here. And I thought it was pretty cool when you got the ball and you said you were looking forward to that cold weather challenge out in Kane County. So if you could just take us through the start of your 2019 season and being told that you'd be the first to get the bump on the first day for the Lumber Kings here in 2019. Um, it was a very exciting, uh, humbling moment, and like I said, I was used to the cold. I was excited to pitch out there. Uh, I did it all through college, so I think it was kind of like my natural habitat, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, right? Even with the snow and everything else, um, unfortunately, the weather has been a theme here in the Midwest League, but that's to be expected, I guess, in April and May. And of course, Chris, he knows all about that because he's from this area. But the start to the season, too, what, what do you think has, has been working for you on the mound, I, I guess, through, what is it, five starts for you so far on this yep. season, just coming off your last one a day ago, we should say, recording this on April 30th here in Clinton, but the first takeaway, I guess, from your first month of, of starts for the Lumber Kings thus far? Uh, I think I was off to a really good start. Uh, I ran into trouble in the fifth uh, last game. But other than that, I just tried to carry on from the end of the season last year uh, after the All-Star break. I had a pretty good – I ended on a good note. Um, and then we went to Instructs, and I learned a lot down there, just like mechanics and staying uh, under control, where in college I was kind of just – throw it down the middle as hard as I could and that was going to get uh, those batters out. Is, is that the difference too? Because sometimes you hear a pitcher, right? The difference between a thrower and a pitcher, right? So maybe in college was it just the throwing and then when you get to the professional ranks it's more of that refined, here's where you, you spot it, here's what you pitch went in certain areas too so that you know the chess match maybe factors into it. Is, is that something that you've felt has been a difference from amateur to professional ranks early on in your pro career? Uh, definitely. Mm -hmm. Just because like I said, uh, being from a D2 school, you didn't really see velo. Like, hitters didn't see velo every day, so you could kind of just blow it by people. And when you're not expecting – or when you're expecting 92, 93 at that level and then you break off a curveball, it doesn't really matter where it is. Yeah. You kind of get, like, sw a lot of swings and misses. And then here you actually have to – obviously you have to execute and, like, make good pitches, not just – throw it down the pipe 
Right. Well, we should say to the uninitiated, velo, velocity. That is our uh, our term definition for you. We're talking here with the pitcher, so we've got some jargon here in Chris Valamont. But velo is what you're known for, velocity. We, we were talking with uh, Mark DeFelice, the pitching coach here, telling us that you'd gotten up to 97 at one point on this season, so a hard right-handed thrower. W- when did you feel, because it seems like a lot of work goes into getting the, the, the pitches up to a 97-mile-per-hour range, but when did you feel that you had that gift that you could get there? Was that early, early, early on, even before your D2 uh, days out at Mercyhurst, or was that something that maybe had occurred maybe in that period? Uh, yeah, it definitely occurred at Mercyhurst, just with, like, the environment that uh, Coach Spano, my coach there, like, created. Um, it, it was almost we competed against each other's, or against each other, like, pitching staff-wise, where it wasn't let's go out and try to be better than the opposite pitcher on that given day. It was, like, all within house. Uh, we had uh, Dan Altavilla, who got drafted in 2014, or, yeah, 2014, and Colin McKee, who just got drafted by the Astros in 2016. McKee was always trying to be better than Dan. And then I uh, – McKee was a great, like, mentor for me, teaching me, helping me there. And I was always trying to be better than him. And then it was just, like I said, the environment that he created. Everybody wanted to be better than each other and just pushed each other to get to that next level. And I think that's kind of where it all grew, like weight room-wise. I do driveline. And that was kind of like just maturing into my body with their program as well. It just I just saw the velocity tick up each year from – my senior year of high school. Was that something that when you first stepped on campus at Mercyhurst that you were thinking about, getting the velocity up? Or where did you feel like you were as a baseball player, you know, coming out of high school and going into college at a, at a D2 school? If you could take us through that, because, you know, D2 to the professional ranks, that's a jump that not a whole lot of people can make. And for you to be taking the fifth round, which is very high, too, which I think shows that that work had clearly had paid off to that extent. Um, I kind of had a chip on my shoulder going into college. I only, I actually only had three offers, all Division II, um, and two of them were, they were lower end PSAC schools, but it was kind of just one of those things where I felt like if I wanted to continue to play, because it was always a dream of mine since I was a little kid when teachers would ask, oh, what do you want to do when you get older? First answer was, I want to play baseball. Yeah. And it was kind of like, all the teachers would be like, all right, like maybe let's pick something more realistic, like something that you can actually do every day where it's yeah. common. And I guess going in, not really being looked at very much, it just kind of pushed me to get to this level where I guess, I don't know, I was just, like I said, I was under-recruited and I kind of carried that into yeah, uh, the first years. That must be a, an issue too, right up in uh, in Pennsylvania, because I think Mike Trout had even talked about that as hurting him being from New Jersey. When you come from a colder area place, that scouts just attribute it. Well, you must not be able to face a lot of guys very often because the weather only allows it for so many times. Do you think that had hurt you too, maybe in, in scouting from other programs as well, just being from Erie, Pennsylvania? Um, I think a little bit. I think scouts will find you. I mean, no matter what, but. I don't know. Like, I think I was underdeveloped mm-hmm. in high school. I didn't really have anything special, and uh, Coach Spano took a chance, and 
kind of just took off from there. Yeah, well, you, when we first had you here, we have all the guys fill out questionnaires, and we ask, you know, who your favorite coach coming up, and you had mentioned Spano, right, George Spano, the uh, head coach out at Mercyhurst. If you could tell us just why that relationship had become so significant for you in your professional career, and I'm sure now, and just a, a personal uh, relationship as well now with Spano that has gotten you to this moment here with the Marlins. Um, being from around Mercyhurst, I lived like five minutes away. It was, he kind of like took me under his wing and it was, he was almost like a father figure. Um, whereas some coaches, you're there to play baseball and that's it. Mm -hmm. He cared about school, how your family was, stuff like that. So like, it wasn't just baseball while you were there. And I think that I can attribute that to like just growing and developing players where a lot of coaches like necessarily wouldn't take the time to actually like learn about you, know about you and stuff like that. And I think that makes, like I said, just creates that environment where you want to work harder for him. Mm -hmm. And well, you feel like you're playing for something, right? Yeah. So it it just gives you a kind of a reason, not that you need one, but yeah, it just, uh, I guess kind of that, you know, person to attach to. And you mentioned having a chip on your shoulder coming in from high school and maybe being under scouted. Did you feel like that was kind of the case for most of the people there at at, at Mercyhurst, especially your rotation mates too, is kind of wanting to prove some people wrong and um, maybe why they should have gotten some more attention? A hundred percent. If you look at Mercyhurst pitching staff, it's, one of the best in the country year after year and it's all attributed to them going there putting in the work and just coming out way better than they went in like Matt Minnick he I don't know if he got recruited by many uh, schools he was the D2 preseason pitcher of the year his sophomore year and then ran into uh, some injuries and now he's back out. I think he has like 100 strikeouts and like 48 innings <laughs> this year. It just shows video game numbers, right? Yeah, right. And I think everybody, everybody there is just getting better. And one, like I said earlier, wants to get better than the next person. And, I mean, it shows. Yeah, and, again, we're talking with uh, Chris Valamont, one of the Lumber Kings uh, starting pitchers and the opening day starter here in 2019, and, and talking about your, your journey from uh, Mercyhurst up into the uh, professional ranks with the Miami Marlins. So you then get drafted, right? You're in the fifth round. But before you get there, you have a, a pretty big moment, right? You're with a team that gets to the uh, College World Series and the D2 ranks, and you mentioned that as being your favorite baseball memory so far. So even more important than being drafted just a, a couple of months later, what was that experience like for you? And it was it may be just so great because you had all those guys to share in that excitement, right, that it was a group effort in that one moment. Right, that's like I said, that has been the best moment in my baseball career just because of how close we were. And we kind of, I mean, we didn't have a down season, but my freshman year, we were like one to five in the country all year. And we got to the playoffs and kind of just like thought we were going to roll through teams, roll through teams, and we ended up getting upset there. Uh, Sophomore year, same thing. We kind of, got a little ahead of ourselves and last year it was kind of just shows how how hard everybody worked and came together as a team where it wasn't like oh I just want to do good it was I want this kid to do good and it was just like we were like a family so it made it that much better 
when we got there, going through that with uh, your teammates, your brothers, and it was unbelievable. Yeah, and, and then so you get drafted too. So I usually ask the players who was the most excited, but I want to know who the most excited was of your fellow teammates that when you had gotten drafted in the fifth round, because of course you were not the only one who was drafted out of Mercyhurst that season. It was uh, actually, I think, one of the biggest draft classes, right, from that school's history um, when you had been picking taken it rather in the fifth round by the Marlins so was there a teammate too that were or lots of them that were very excited to hear your name called by the Marlins uh yeah like I said we were so close it, it, like everybody was congrats like you did like you put in the work they saw now go put in more work right, right. yeah <laughs> they saw me grow from the time I was a freshman when I didn't really throw that hard I wasn't really developed yet and just like saw the hard work that I put in and they were all really excited and I think that's going to push them to want to work and get to the same spot I'm I'm in now. Yeah, so you get drafted in the 5th round and you know who is who is outside of your your Mercyhurst days but maybe a family member or friend member that uh or uh, just a family friend that pushed you along in that path and really helped you get to where you were at even getting to Mercyhurst and then maybe show the excitement once the uh, the 5th round comes around and the Marlins come a calling. Uh he was actually a teammate too but one of my best friends from uh like my whole childhood josh greggs he was there on draft day uh jared pound another one of my buddies they were both sitting with me when i got the call and just having like them around made it that much better i mean obviously my parents too yeah but like having them where they didn't feel well they felt like they had to be there but like i said they're just friends not family Mm -hmm. and I don't know it meant a lot to me well then it comes to the 2019 season the career of course beginning professionally in 2018 but here with the Lumber Kings in 2019 five starts so far on this season and for a team that looks like it's a pretty good unit and a fun unit to be around just in a general sense a lot of laughter it seems like in the Lumber Kings clubhouse no matter what the results of a particular game is in does that I guess make it a lot easier right just seeing the the chemistry early on that the Lumber Kings have had really since the buses arrived uh, from Jupiter. Yeah, we most of us played together last year in Batavia, and, I mean, being a new draft guy last year, our class kind of came in, and it was the first two, three weeks, we kind of just, all right, this year's draft stayed together, and then, like I said, after that two, three weeks, everybody got comfortable being around each other, and I think we just took it off from the end of the season last year. And the chemistry just carried over, and I wouldn't want to be with another group of guys right now. Yeah, it seems like it it, it has a great coaching staff, too, with uh, Mark DeFelice, the pitching coach. We've heard great things from all the players. Uh, Mike Jacobs, of course, the manager. Maybe you don't deal a lot with Frank Moore on the hitting coach side of things, but just a a great coaching staff that uh, we've heard from Marlins. We've heard from sports writers in Miami, even, (laughs) so they know pretty well about the unit that is here. And, And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about just the coaching staff that is here and what they've been like working with. Uh, just through the first month of the 2019 season. I was actually thinking about this the other day, uh, just even though I'm not with Frank, just having like him around and joking with us. It, like, Yeah, he's our coach, but it also seems like they're one of us as well. Like mm-hmm. They joke around with us, always trying to like keep spirits high in the, in the clubhouse. Uh, same with Jacobs. Like, he'll crack jokes almost more than anybody else, and I think that's what you need from – a coaching staff where it's not almost like I was saying at Mercier's it's not just baseball 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 it's you know you can joke around with yeah. these guys uh they have your back but they're also gonna I mean give you 
Yeah. Right. We know where you're going. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's 140 games. So, of course, hopefully it should be light at some point. Otherwise, that's just going to be exhausting if everything's intense the entire time right. and you're white knuckling it. And I was uh, always talking about with the, the younger guys on the team, of course, you're a college grad so or a college guy, so it's a little bit different, right, so than uh, the 19 year olds like a Connor Scott or a Will Banfield. But, um, you know, the grind of the schedule, 140 games, of course, the pitcher is in, in all of those games. So that's a lot of innings that you would conceivably throw, especially especially as the uh, opening day starter. Is that something like a challenge that you, you get through? I think when we talked with uh, Josh Roberson, he mentioned uh, 100 innings as a goal, you know, through, uh, throughout his season. Um, but it, do you think of the, the season as one of those challenges that you have to measure up to um, here in a, a full season, especially with the Lumber Kings? Uh, kind of. I don't really think about it as, oh, this is going to be like, I don't want to say like a long season, but mm-hmm. yeah, 140 games is a lot more than I've ever played before mm-hmm. but now it's just I try to take it game by game and just kind of go with the flow not think about the end result or anything like that just like next pitch next game and take it in baby steps instead of thinking about the bigger picture yeah I guess that would be pretty daunting right like I've got 139 more to go as you say to yourself right. after the final game I think uh, I had gotten in trouble once as an assistant for saying that after game one in the minor leagues and uh, he said never say that again that we've got oh we only have 139 more to go that's <laughs> not a very funny joke well we had yesterday which again we're recording this on April 30th which is kind of an off day for the Lumber Kings they've been rained out against the West Michigan Whitecaps but a day off which is Kind of hard to come by, it seems like, once the season gets started. What did Chris Valamont do with his day off? Was there anything fun and maybe a lot of sleep? But when you do have some energy and some time off, do you have anything that you like to do in particular, any hobbies? Uh, not really. Like, catch up on sleep, obviously, okay. with the road trips, coming yeah. back late at night. I mean, you gotta you got to rest up. Um, other than that, really just play video games, NHL, Fortnite, the usual. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, as we mentioned, the, the really a lot of off days uh, for the Lumber Kings in a week, right, which is very nice to see with uh, Easter on Sunday and then Monday with the off day kind of giving you that break. Lumber Kings are then going to be taking on the Eastern Division, so teams that you haven't faced before. Uh, you'd seen some teams now a couple of times. Did that help you, Feld, you know, and having some familiarity with some opponents in the Quad Cities River Bandits, the affiliate of the Astros, or the Beloit Snappers affiliated with the A's? Were the, that familiarity helping out at all, you think, in uh, the preparation for those challenges that you had when you take the ball? Um, kind of. Like I said, I try to take it pitch by pitch and not think about, oh, the last outing against these guys was really good, so I can just go out there and do it again. You kind of have to have the pedal to the metal every time you go out there and throw. So I don't really try to think too much about it i'll watch like film on oh this worked last game or stuff like that just to have an idea but other than that i just try to attack with what i have that particular day and use my stuff to get them out not i mean not uh worry too much about what i did in the past i'll look at it but not not too in depth well, we'll let you go with this. We, this is a busy guy we're talking to, so we'll let you go with this because I thought it was kind of funny. We we'd filled out that questionnaire. You had filled it out for us on the questionnaire when you'd come into town, and we asked the guys what their favorite holidays were, and you were the only St. Patrick's Day as a favorite holiday, so I was wondering uh, where, where that had stemmed from and, and why you look forward to it so much on the calendar. 
Um, my birthday is the day after. Okay, so, so lots of reasons to celebrate, yeah. Right, and uh, my family's Irish. Okay. So it just kind of having those two days back to back, it just... It seems so obvious now. I guess right. I, I we finish with a dumb question. Oh, no. <laughs> well, that's Chris Valamont. Thanks very much for taking the time here to talk with us on A-Ball. We really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, thanks again, and we'll be back with more here on A-Ball with Eric Goes. Great, thanks so much. And welcome back here on A-Ball with Eric Ghost. You just heard from the Lumber Kings opening day starter, Chris Valamont, who had taken some time to talk with us on a rainy day here in Clinton. And a big thanks to him for doing that. Lumber Kings team, which as we record this on April the 30th, a 12-10 record, which is tied for third in the Midwest League. One game back of both the Burlington Bees and the Kent County Cougars right in the thick of a playoff race as it stands right now. Supposed to be getting started against the Eastern Division, which is a swing on the schedule that is supposed to last two weeks, but postponed here on the final day of April. West Michigan Whitecaps, a single-A affiliate of the Detroit Tigers, a series that is set to end on May the 2nd. And then the South Bend Cubs, which is going to be their first visit here to Clinton since 2016. That is how the schedule has worked so far. Series that runs from Friday, May 3rd through Sunday, May the 5th. The Eastern Division swings will then continue with the Dayton Dragons, a series that runs from May the 6th through the 8th, and the Bowling Green Hot Rods from May 9th through the 11th. Something that we talked about with Valamont on that interview if that would be an issue at all, not having any of the familiarity with teams the Lumber Kings have not faced so far. And he was very confident, as you should be, with a 97-mile-per-hour fastball and telling us that he's just trying to execute pitch by pitch and not really think about whether a good outing before means success in this outing here. So it was kind of interesting to get in between the ears, as they say, of a starting pitcher like Chris Valamont, that Eastern Division swing ending after a league-wide off day on Sunday, May the 12th, usually used for travel. And we also wanted to highlight some of the roster moves that had occurred for the Lumber Kings as of late. We briefly touched on the injury for Christopher Torres, which has placed him on the injured list, which was retroactive to Saturday, April the 27th. He was placed on the injured list, which allowed the activation of a fellow infielder in Demetrius Sims. So Sims with a very brief stint on the injured list, only about seven days after he had been placed there, allowing for Sam Castro to be called up from extended spring here to Clinton. Lumber Kings now have two switch hitters with Sam Castro, a very speedy infielder that is now in town, and he has been primarily playing over at second base, a switch hitting Dominican native, 21 years of old. 21 years of age, 5 foot 10, 160 pounds. He had spent only two games in the GCL with the GCL Marlins back in 2018. The lion's share of his time coming with the Greensboro Grasshoppers in the South Atlantic League. 61 games for Castro in that time. He batted 262 with a home run, 23 RBIs. Very speedy. Also had six stolen bases as well. Sam Castro has since stayed around with the injury to Christopher Torres. 
Well, the Lumber Kings will also be in action, of course, for all of these games throughout the summer, 139 of them following the cancellation out in Quad Cities on Saturday. So we will shamelessly plug our broadcast here. You can, of course, listen to all the Lumber Kings games on 100.3 FM WCCI and online via the TuneIn Radio app at LumberKings.com. If you're out of the broadcast range, Chris Valamont's next start that you can hear if you're unable to make it out to the ballpark will be on Saturday May the 4th against the South Bend Cubs. Valamont will be in his sixth start of the season, and that will be with not yours truly on the broadcast. I will be on assignment next weekend, which is why I can tell you that next week we have already got our guest selected, an interview that is in the can, as they say in the business. Connor Scott, the first-round pick for the Miami Marlins in the 2018 draft. He was kind enough to talk with us as well today, and we'll be playing that interview for you on episode number six, which will be next week here on Fish Gripes. You can hear the next episode of A-Ball with Connor Scott on Wednesday, and we hope you enjoy that one as much as you hopefully enjoy this one. That will do it for Episode 5 here of A-Ball with Eric Ose. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully we'll see you out at a ball game sometime this summer. If not, we will see you on the radio for the broadcast, and if that doesn't work out, we're always here to talk A-Ball for the Miami Marlins here in the Midwest League with the Clinton Lumber Kings. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.